Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Crushing Cashflow. With me today, and a big welcome to Mr. Mark Willis, who's a certified financial planner, a three-time number one bestselling author, owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, and co-host of none other than the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Mark, welcome to the show, man. Great to be on, Andrew. Thank you. I love having the diversity of different guests in the show. We get a lot, as you know, we were talking about in the pre-show kind of catch up here. A lot of a lot of real estate gas, a lot of insurance guys. And it's always great to have kind of financial planners in here, authors, you know, co-podcast hosts are always great just to get that different perspective. And I love just to kind of look at your background again. You've got a different view on how people think about money, the economy and their future. And you've got that background graduating with, you know, a lot of other Americans can relate with that heavy student debt. And, you know, I guess that kind of motivated you to carve out your career path. Tell us more about that. Well, yeah, it was a great time to be starting in life. You know, we graduated, my wife and I, with three private school degrees between us and $120,000 in student loan debt as we entered into the Great Recession of 2008. Perfect timing. Even better was, yeah, we had no jobs. Yeah, Yeah, perfect timing. And we really didn't have any plan or awareness of it. That was the worst part. Anybody can move in the right direction as long as you know where you're wanting to go. But we didn't know where we were going. We had never really thought about money. In fact, when we first started to think about money, it was about the time we got our first bill from Sally May and all of her cronies, you know? So mm-hmm. we got our heads on straight pretty quick when we noticed that she wanted money back after we got out of college. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I jokingly say I married two women in college, my beautiful wife and Sally May. Nice. And Sally wanted a ton of money from us every month. So we had to get serious about our money stuff. And we'd never been taught growing up. And we had had to figure it out pretty quick and we weren't exactly naturals at it. I'll tell you, both my wife and I are very much, you know, forward personalities. We show up, you know, in force to the meetings. So we decided to keep everybody out of jail. We'd have to do all of our money meetings in public so there'd be witnesses. Nice. <laughs> and it over time it became easier. But those first couple of meetings, we had ice cream out. I mean, it was the whole thing. So that's sort of where we started. And I was working alongside a CPA at the time just helping her prepare tax returns, trying to make the bills meet on my side. And you know, I overheard her make those calls, those dreaded calls, the calls that no financial advisor wants to make, but virtually all of us have to make if we're doing the traditional retirement strategies like stocks, bonds, mutual funds. She was making those dreaded calls. Hey, I'm sorry, Mr. 63-year-old client, but I just lost you a third of your life savings. I just lost you half your life savings. And we think that stuff's done, right? We think 2008, oh, distant memory. Well, as of this recording, we're in early mid-May at this point, and the stock market has had its worst start to the year since 1939. Wow. wow. 39. That's like grandpa stuff. That's like great grandpa stuff right there. 1939. I just heard that a couple of these major tech stock are off 75%. Netflix is. and Got hit hard. Bitcoin's yeah. down mega, half of what it was last year. So anyway, who knows, right? Where you'll be hearing this in the future whenever you listen to this. But that's the point. That's the whole point. We have no clue what the stock market's going to do when you're listening to this right now. Maybe it's doing fine. 
Maybe this is the beginning of a giant bear market, or maybe it's the beginning of another bull run. The problem is we have no way to build a plan around something we have no access to and no control over. So that's partly what got me started, me revved up to start our own financial firm, Lake Growth. We work with folks all over the country, sit down over Zoom, have a conversation, really get to the bottom of what you truly want your money doing for you in a way that helps you remain in control of your financial life rather than outsourcing it to some banker or to some investment guru. I love it. I love it. So there's so much good content there to unpack and start with a couple simple things, right? You know, regardless of what age your target retirement would be, whether you're in your 40s or 30s or 50s or traditionally 60s, how do you make sure you know, if you run out of money, you don't run out of income? What are your, you know, your proven strategies or what would be your advice for those listening? Well, that's a smart question because hey, you know, who's going to know for sure how long you're going to need that money to last? And if we build our assumptions on old-fashioned thinking, which is kind of the, it's really not so old-fashioned. I mean, 401ks became a thing in 1981. Yeah. I mean, they're so young. Yeah, Yeah. they're so young, man. Yeah. In fact, they're so young, they're not even themselves old enough to retire yet. If the 401k was a person. That's a a good perspective. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So before that, we all had strategies like pensions that provided for us a permanent, never-ending income stream for the rest of our life. Those are awesome, but they're so rare today, and many of them are mismanaged. Now, a lot of us go to real estate because we love that cash flow, i.e., the crushing cash flow podcast. That's right. And it is an incredible, I mean, it's as old as the pyramids in terms of like a great way to build wealth and create income for you. But man, I'll tell you, even I meet landlords in their 80s and they're done. I'm telling you, man, they are done fixing light bulbs and, you know, toilets and all that. So we've got to find good strategies like you're able to show us and our on your podcast to build a permanent, never-ending stream of income. And we use strategies like that at our firm. We also use annuity contracts that are guaranteed never to run out of money. Even if you run out of income, they'll pay you a paycheck that lasts as long as either you or your spouse live, guaranteed. In fact, I was just walking through a museum about a month or two ago here in Chicagoland. There was a big annuity contract from 2,000 years ago on the walls of this old museum. 2,000 years ago, this old annuity con, probably a military pension from Alexander the Great. It was out of Egypt. And I just thought to myself, my goodness, we've been thinking about this retirement thing for a very long time. And some tools have stood the test of time, pensions, real estate, annuities. Some are basically guinea pig experiments, 401ks, IRAs. So which of the two do you want to depend on if you can only do it once? And that's the thing with retirement. You can only... Do it once. There's no yeah. do-overs. So that's maybe a quick answer to your question. There's lots of strategies out there, but look for something where you can build contractual wealth, not just paper wealth like Wall Street offers. I love it. I love it. So you mentioned three quick ones, pensions, real estate, and annuities. Do you have a favorite? I got to ask. Well, I'll tell you, You know, the key to all of them is the contract because everyone's different. I'm a certified financial planner, so no perfect financial vehicles out there, just you know, imperfect people, that's all, like myself included. But I'd say, you know, I was sitting down and talking to a guy. He had 10 paid off rental properties. I was talking to him about his financial life, all of his wealth, everything was in those 10 properties. Good for him, right? And he was getting about 10,000 bucks a month off those rentals. Not bad. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. And in fact, he was doing tile and grout while I was talking to him. So it's not exactly passive, but, you know, he loved what he was doing. Right. So I asked him, you know, what's truly the bedrock of your foundational wealth here? And is it the rental properties? And he said, well, you know, I can see it, I can feel it, I can. You know, I get the check from the tenant. And I said, well, isn't it true that underneath the rental property is the contract that you have with your tenant? 
and that you have with your county saying that you own those properties and no one else does. Without a written word, a contract with you and your tenant, all you have is squatter's rights. All you have is shotgun rights. Yeah. <laughs> so I believe that the best wealth generating tool in Western civilization, really all of civilization, is the contract, whether it's an annuity contract or a rental mm. property contract. The contract itself is what makes everything go. And if we lose contracts, if we like somehow woke up and contracts were no longer a thing in this society, we'd all be screwed. But thank goodness we've got the contract to really build true wealth. That's in relation to stock market portfolio wealth, which goes up today and down tomorrow. Or you know whatever Zillow says your house is worth, you know that's all fine. That's extra credit. But the true wealth generators are going to be built around those contracts. It's interesting because you almost as a real estate guy, you know, you take it for granted that those things exist and they're part of the you know nature and DNA what we do every day. But you're right. We just assume that they're always there and they exist. And if they didn't, it's a lot more chaotic. Right. So you, right. You can maybe think of something. You mentioned the example of the gentleman you had at 10 paid off properties and all of his wealth or the majority of his wealth was in these properties. Where do you stand on the diversification versus concentration side of the fence, or maybe it's a mix of both. Well, I'll tell you, you know, Warren Buffett says diversification is just insurance against ignorance. The old saying goes, right? And yeah. I'm certainly <laughs> ignorant when it comes to many things in my life. Just ask my wife about that. But I'll tell you this, there are some ways you can actually do both. And I believe that it's not an either or. When we work with our clients, typically they want kids going to college and they want to fix up the kitchen and they want to invest in some real estate and they need some cars like yesterday and they need, you know, retirement's coming at them like a freight train. So by being able to do a both and strategy, we can diversify. Yes, that's smart, but also concentrate into things that you know and can control. And here's how I overcome the problem of either or, which is the problem of most financial plans. Either you invest in real estate or you pay off your old student loans. Either you send your kid to college or you invest in you know, X, Y, Z. So we've uncovered a strategy and it's been trademarked called bank on yourself. It's using another insurance contract, not an annuity. In this case, it's a form of dividend paying whole life insurance of all things, Andrew. And when you pack money into this particular design, not the stuff Dave Ramsey talks about, but if it's designed properly, a true bank on yourself designed policy, whole life policy, lets you pour a bunch of money into it. It's called cash value. It builds up equity okay? Equity is called cash value in the policy. We shrink down the death benefit and cut the commissions out as hard as we can. And that cash value that's being built up now is liquid accessible wealth for you. And it's going to do a fine middle single digit return, nothing special, but it sure beats my savings account. But what I really love about it and what's so compelling to me about it, Andrew, is I can borrow against the policy like a bank Mm -hmm. and go invest in some real estate or whatever I want to do with that money. And while I've got that property outstanding and the rent's coming in and all that's good stuff, right? My policy is still earning interest and guarantees, actually. There's a guaranteed cash value increase with dividends every single year. It's still earning the full value as if I had never borrowed the money. So if I've got $100,000 of cash value, let's say, $100,000 in my policy, and let's say I borrow out 50 grand to go buy a property, borrow out 50 grand for my life insurance. That year, my policy is still going to give me growth on the entire 100000 bucks, as if I hadn't oh. touched a dime of the money. And I've got my rental property doing its thing. Now, that to me wow. is a both-and solution. 
I love that. That's one thing we haven't talked about yet. You just opened a couple of light bulbs went off for me. You know, how does one initiate this process? They, you know, contact you or how do they start like learning about their options and exploring? You have my interest peak for sure. Well, yeah, there's 400,000 life insurance agents in the United States. And, you know, you got to believe, Andrew, most of them have no clue what you and I are even talking about right now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) So it's very important. One of the biggest risks, I'd say, to this strategy, it's known as bank on yourself, but it's also got a couple of other nicknames out there. But it's been trademarked for this because there's so many knockoff versions out there. And it's so easy to call up your cousin who used to do life insurance, you know, years ago and set this up incorrectly. Just had a guy, he dumped in over a hundred grand into one of these supposedly bank on yourself policies, but it was tied to an index and it was increasing in costs every year. And the cash was about to implode on itself such that, well, the whole thing was going to be a huge tax nightmare for him and so on. So the most important thing is that you reach out to someone who knows what he or she is doing. And selfishly, I'll say, hey, bank on yourself professionals. I'm one of them, but you could reach out to any of us. There's 200 bank on yourself professionals around the country who've gone through about, it took me about three and a half years to go through the training process to get that credential. And it's the only credential in the industry that's focused on this particular strategy. So look out for that. Bank on yourself, professionals, we meet and kind of go through training strategies and update our CE and so forth. That'd be one thing to kind of keep an eye out for, look for as you're doing your research. That's great. I'm thinking, you know, before we get to the last part of our segment and episode here, you know, if someone's listening that, hey, you've got my interest, what homework would you give them to think about before they engage and con- we'll get to your contact information in a second, but like, what should we be thinking about just so we can have a productive first session or consult with yourself or your team? Well, when we meet with folks, we do a one-on-one advisory consultation. It's totally free. We just kind of get to know you a bit and understand what you're trying to accomplish financially. Because again, it may not be a right fit, that particular strategy there. Maybe some of our other strategies I've already mentioned might be a better fit. Or maybe it's like I say, both and. You can always do both and when you're using a bank on yourself policy. So we do a sit-down conversation over the phone or over Zoom, just like you know, folks are pretty used to these days. And we just have a discussion about goals, objectives, you know, concerns, where's your what's working in your financial life today. And so we gather all that information, get to know you a bit. Now, before we get into that, I like to think strategically and I like to ask folks, well, what do you truly want your money doing for you? And so as far as homework goes. You know, guys, you don't have to call me if you want to. That'd be great. But, you know, pause the podcast here for five minutes and just think about what's like my wish list. If I was Pope of money for the day, what's the wish list of attributes or characteristics I want my money to do for me? If I was Pope of money, how would I want it to act? Like, is it going to be tax free? Is it going to be taxable? Is it going to be penalized to touch it? Is it going to be free and accessible? Is it going to have a decent rate of return? Is it going to be trapped in the market? Is it going to be tied up in legal risk? If I get sued, can someone come and take it from me? You know, these are just sort of a short list of things that, because everything that I just said there will point you in a different direction as far as where you should be parking some of your cash and where you put your money makes it do different things. So a hedge fund is different than a real estate deal, which is different than a savings account. So depending on where you want that money to go and what sort of characteristics you want it to have, well, that gives you your answer. Now, you know, if you're like most people and myself included, you don't know, you know, all the characteristics of all the thousands of different parking spots where you can put your money these days. I mean, yeah. index funds versus annuities versus real estate, you know, the list goes on and on. So that's where we might be able to come in. Either me or one of my colleagues could sit down and sort of figure out, well, all right, you've said you want this. Let's do this. It looks like you're maxing out your 401k, but you seem to think that taxes are going to go up in the future. 
does that make sense to you? Yeah. <laughs> so these are just some of the conversations right. we have over time. That's a lot. That's a great list of kind of you almost taking notes on you as you're talking, a long list of things. I can't imagine you get too many takers and say, I'd love to have more taxed income though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so true, man. Well, think about this though. When the 401k got started, you know, we had just come out of a high tax environment. And so the 401k got its start in 81. Well, we yeah. had just come into the Reagan tax cuts at that point. And, you know, most people today will tell me, hey, Mark, over my lifetime, yeah, taxes are going up. Yeah. And they'll say, well, I'm maxing out my 401k. It's the right thing to do, mm -hmm. right? Everyone tells you you should. But what sense does that make if taxes are going to go higher in the future? Yeah. If you believe taxes are going up, why defer your tax problem? That's like deferring a root canal. It's just yeah. going to get worse. And I'd like to think, you know, you might think, oh, I'm going to have less income as I retire. But really, if you're used to a certain standard of living, are you really going to realize that much less income? That's why I was thinking about right, I'm, still, yeah. I'm still tweaking my own strategies, for, to be honest, as well. Mm -hmm. so. Well, there's a right amount to have in a tax-deferred bucket. I mean, you can put up to the standard deduction, for example, and avoid that tax. And we have a calculator to decide exactly what's the right amount to keep in your 401k. So we're not purists, but yeah, if you think you're going to be in a lower tax bracket in the future, don't forget, all the kids will be out of the house. So there goes that deduction. Your mortgage is likely paid down or paid off. So yeah. there goes that deduction. And tax rates, are they going down? Probably not. No. You know. <laughs> and if you were reasonably successful in your investments, you know, hopefully you're in a higher tax bracket. And that's yeah. kind of my anecdotal experience with over a thousand clients is that most people are at the same tax bracket or a higher tax bracket when they get to that golden year. I love it. Well, Mark, this has been an awesome session. For those listening want to get to know yourself a little bit better, maybe do that free one-on-one -on -one consult you're talking about. How do they contact you? What's the best way? You know, the one website, if you don't remember anything else, is just go to kickstartwithmark.com. It's kickstartwithmark, with a K, dot com. Happy to chat for 15 minutes. If you want to build real wealth outside of Wall Street and you want to do it without a bunch of unnecessary risk and you want to complement that with your real estate deals, go to kickstartwithmark.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.